is in the studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepard, and Mike, it's great to be back with you again. You know, our producer's Joe Carlson. Everybody yes. knows that. Yes. But there's another guy that we don't often talk about who really makes all this work, and that's Lance Mansfield. Yeah, Lance is a good friend. He was one of Bill Lane's boys from Seattle, and he has been helping us for years with the the technical end of this program, but he's also just a he's just a great brother. Yep. We really appreciate what Lance does to help yeah. us out here in the studio. All right, well, this is one of those programs where we're going to mix some new with some old. So later on, we're going to dip into the archive and hear an interview we did with Dr. Lyle Dorset and music from Ashley Cleveland. That's coming up in the second half of the program today. Yeah, not not too shabby to, <laughs> no, to no. dip back into the archives and, and bring out people like that. Right, right. Hey, I want to share some of the emails that we've gotten recently. These are so encouraging. Here's one that says, I so enjoy listening to your podcast each week. I've learned so much from your teaching uh, every song, lesson, and chapter gives me renewed motivation to continue digging into God's Word on my own. There's always new treasures and insights to be found. That means we're accomplishing our purpose here, doesn't it? Yeah, and you know, I don't know if I've said this before, uh, Wayne, but what I've I've realized in the last few months is if if what we do on this program really helps you, we had nothing to do with it. Yeah, right. Understood. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, one more. This comes from Zambia. Wow. Just to inform you that I am a regular listener to In the Studio with Michael Card, may I thank you for such rich discourse and deep lessons from God's Word. I've been listening to Michael Card's music since the late 80s. I am Zambian based in Botswana. Wow. Thank you, and (laughs) God bless you. Willard, thank you for listening. And technology, wonderful. Well, coming up, before the uh, interview with Dr. Lyle Dorsett is heard or the music from Ashley Cleveland, Mike, you're going to take us into John chapter 8 today. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to look at a, a, a passage where Jesus is dealing with uh, the question of freedom and his uh, redefinition of uh, what, what being free really means and what we're free of. All right, well, I look yeah. forward to opening God's Word. John chapter 8 in just a moment here, but let's get started with some of your music recorded in the studio here. And remember, Kirk Whalem joined you on this song. Yeah, not, not too shabby. <laughs> what will it take to keep you from Jesus? Michael Card with Kirk on sax. To keep you from Jesus Keep you from heeding His call The simple excuse of a heart that is hard A reason that's nothing at all And there was a man who was owned by his money He was as rich as could be but deep in his heart was a voice that was crying, telling him he wasn't free. When he questioned the master concerning his problem, the answer took his breath away. For his money had come to me more than his soul, forever would stand in his way. What will it take to keep you from Jesus, keep you from heeding his call? simple excuse of a heart that is hard, a reason that's nothing at all. And how long before you stop with your reasons, take your defenses away? It's only a lie that keeps you from following, don't let it stand in your way. So many excuses and so many lies are blocking the light and the way. But the final decision to follow the Lord Will shatter and blow them away And once there was one who was lame in his body Sick in his body and soul Though he didn't know all the facts about Jesus, he knew that he longed to be whole. So with some of his friends he went seeking and found him, so many stood in their way. So they tore through the roof and they lowered him down, for nothing could keep him away. 
what will it take to keep you from Jesus, keep you from heeding His call? The simple excuse of a heart that is hard, a reason that's nothing at all. so nice huh wow <laughs> recorded live performance here michael card with uh, kirk whalem on saxophone well i know how much listeners really enjoy and i enjoy michael whenever we can open the scripture together and today we've chosen uh, john chapter eight you're gonna sing the song of better freedom coming up in a few moments here but mm-hmm. let's dig into this this chapter well chapter eight it it opens with the the passage of the woman taken in adultery Mm-hmm. And um, which uh, for a lot of us, I, I, I love that story. Uh, and, and it goes on. Jesus speak, speaks of himself as being the light of the world, who, you know, who he is. And, and uh, interesting that the, 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 in the passage with the woman taking adultery, he sort of does what he's going to talk about doing uh, in verse 31, and that is setting people free. I mean, she was literally about to die at the hands of uh, this mob and Jesus did, you know, this incredible, made this incredible turnaround. And then a little bit later, um, in, in a different scene, John shows us Jesus talking about uh, what, real, what real freedom is and what he's come to set us free uh, from. And the detail, it opens, and, and we tend to read right over these kind of details, but the opening statement says, to the Jews who had believed him. So this is a, 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 a I mean, rudimentary, uh, you know, I grant you, it's a very rudimentary belief, but these are Jewish people who, who have believed in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he, he's, he's, he's helping them t- to mature. Uh, um, and, he, and he says, if you hold to my teaching, you'll really be my disciples. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free, because yeah, that's very, what the truth famous, does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Not sim- but it's not simply a truth or some philosophical truth. It's the truth about who Jesus is. That's what sets you free. Well, they, they don't like that. I mean, I have a quote here from Josephus, Antwi- Antiquities uh, 18.1, where uh, Josephus says that the Jewish people have an inviolable attachment to liberty. Hmm. Uh, so to even suggest to a Jewish person that they might be a slave was a huge insult. And so, and Jesus doesn't even use the word slave. He just speaks about being set free. But even that gets under their skin. Mm-hmm. We're Abraham descendants. They say we've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say we'll be set free? And this is that classic motif in the Gospel of John I call the motif of misunderstanding. Whenever Jesus says something deeply significant, the very next verse indicates that the people have no idea. They, it's not that they kind of don't understand they're completely uh, in the dark. Um, so um, he so he, he begins to unpack it. Yeah, yeah, I assure you. I assure you. I tell you the truth. Everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Yeah, and that, that's, that's, what they're, uh, that's what they're slaves to. That's what they need to be, be set free of. And the truth of who Jesus is in verse 32 will set them free from that slavery to sin. Yeah. Um, and, and then something else happens that, that they take the wrong way. He, he says, now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be really free, or you'll be free indeed. Uh, I know you're Abraham's descendants, because earlier when they objected in verse 33, they say, we're, we're Abraham's descendants, never been slaves to anyone. I know you're Abraham's descendants, Jesus said, yet you're ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. Now, these are... The, to the Jews who had believed in him. Yeah, these are the good guys. <laughs> yeah, the, that, right. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it, Wayne. It, these are to the good guy. Yeah, you're, you're ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you've heard from your father. Well, yeah, well, then they push back even more. Of, of course. <laughs> uh, and, and just see, but you see the, the connection in verse 33, they say, we're Abraham's descendants. In verse 39, they say, oh, well, Abraham is our father. 
it seems to indicate that they're even more emphatic the second time they say it. Well, I, I think that the, the emotional level is going up, you know, because I think they have this sort of rudimentary, oh, yeah, we believe this guy may be the Messiah. And, you know, uh, and so Jesus says, OK, you, you want to be my disciples? This truth, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to tell you the truth about who I am. It's going to set you free. And all of a sudden that shakes their foundations. Wait, wait a minute. We're, we're free. We're not slaves. I mean, after all, we're Abraham's descendants. And uh, you can almost see Jesus shaking his hands and saying, uh, "You're, you're, uh, some of you anyway are, are uh, have already started plots to kill me." The plots to kill Jesus begin in Mark three. I mean, during the during the whole course of his ministry, there are people to, who are plotting to take his life. So he says, "You know, if you were really Abraham's descendants, these kinds of plots wouldn't be going on." Yeah, you would have done what Abraham would have done. Exactly. And who and that is that he, you know, he uh, he welcomed the angels. He was he showed hospitality and uh, but um, but yeah. So no, Abraham's our father. They say, uh, if you're Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you do the things Abraham's Abraham did. And I, you know, I think he's in, at least in Judaism, uh, the sort of the the thing that characterized Abraham is from Genesis 18, where he welcomes the um, the two angels and this third person, who a lot of us believe is a is a Christophany. The third person that Jesus st- that uh, Abraham stays back and talks to, we think is a preincarnate uh, appearance of Jesus. So the, and the, the the other two angels go and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. That's mm-hmm. Genesis 18. Mm-hmm. So uh, so if you're if you're Abraham's children, Jesus said, then. Uh, you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you're determined to kill me, a man who's told you the truth, this truth that sets you free, yeah. that I heard from God. Abraham didn't do such things. You're doing the things your father does. And oh my goodness. It, you, it's <laughs> well, all... <laughs> yeah, they, they push back again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the second half of verse 41, we weren't born of sexual immorality. We have one father, God. And and do you hear the insult in that first statement? Mm-hmm. NIV translates it, uh, we are not illegitimate children. There's a, Some people believe there's been this rumor that Jesus, I mean, it's certainly uh, the rumor came came later uh, in the late first century. There was this rumor that Jesus, you know, it wasn't a virgin birth, that there was some kind of Ill, illegitimacy, Ill, illegitimacy involved. And um, some people think they're actually insulting him by saying this. Um, so we're not illegitimate children. The only father we have uh, is God Himself, and it's it's going to go on. It's going to go on down. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how much time we have to go through through all of these verses. Right. Uh, we, we can go to forty seven, can't we? Yeah, we've got a couple minutes here. Uh, yeah. So Jesus said to them, "If God were your father, you'd love me, for I came from God. Now I'm here. I'm not come on my own, but He sent me." And that's a reference to Deuteronomy eighteen. Jesus is the sent one. He's the prophet likened to Moses who only says what God tells him to say. He only re- reveals the truth that God has given him to reveal. Yeah, it gets real um, serious here, doesn't it? Um, yeah. What He says, you know, you don't understand what I say because you cannot listen. You are of your father the devil. I mean, that, that, that's, that's pretty strong. Yeah, yeah. And and that word diabolos, uh, um, dia means a cross, balos means to throw, that Diabolos is the one who is the person who throws accusations as at us, and um, and he's going to say in the next statement that he's a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. There's no truth in him. I mean, this is Jesus' understanding of who the devil is, uh, and so we should listen closely. You know, mm-hmm. he, when he lies, he speaks of na- his native language. He's a liar and the father of lies. Yet, in contrast. Because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Yeah, he's saying here, you you believe him more than me. Yeah, absolutely. He he, in that sense, is your father. I've come to set you free from sin by telling you the truth about who I am, right? And then ultimately, Jesus is going to die on the cross and pay for the sins of the world so that we can be forgiven. That's the offer he's making to these uh, first Jews who believed in him and the, and the offer he still makes to us today. And the the really bizarre thing is, Wayne, that there are still people who will choose yeah. to turn that offer down. Mm. Um, that's still mystifying to me. Mm. Um, and, well, uh, I, th- I think we'll pause there. And, you know, the earlier email that I read indicated that it causes uh, this kind of conversation causes people to want to go deeper. And I encourage you yes. to go deeper 
on this topic and further into that chapter to learn more yeah. about this. But thanks for whetting our appetite here. Yeah, you know, and let me and let me say ahead. this: Re- read that whole chapter as a unity. Don't just read these, you know, ten or so verses that we just looked at. Yeah, read the whole chapter, and you'll see bits and pieces of of this all integrated together in that chapter. Right. You know, there's one thing that I, I, more than one thing, but something I quote you on all the time is when you say, it's not a question whether we're slaves or not, but just whose slaves we're going to be. Absolutely. That's good. I said that? Wow. You said that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I can't document it, but I know I learned it from you. Well, I I wrote a song called A Better Freedom, and uh, there's this wonderful, of course, uh, Christianity is full of these wonderful paradoxes, but the wonderful paradox of our freedom is... We only experience freedom through becoming slaves to Christ, and Jesus says as much. Well, we had you sing that song in the studio one time. We're going to play it now. So good transition into uh, the song, A Better Freedom. You wrote this with your friend Scott Rowley, right? Yeah, long time ago, back when you were, I think, probably in elementary school. Oh, I doubt that. (laughs) All right, here's Michael Card, A Better Freedom. Following that, we'll hear from Dr. Lyle Dorsett here on Freedom Today. I am lost And I am bound And I am captive to the shame that keeps on holding me down And all I need to be found is freedom I am tired And I am dying And I am trapped inside a cage I've made of hopelessly trying But the door would open And I'd be flying If I could find freedom excited today to have Dr. Lyle Dorsett back with us on the broadcast, Michael. Welcome back, Dr. Dorsett. It's good to be back. 
Good to hear the voices of you people. (laughs) Well, let's talk about John Wesley. We want to talk about particularly his views on abolition today, but I understand his his life played quite a role in your life. I'm a midlife convert to the faith, and, and before I became a Christian, when I was in my 30s, I was teaching history. I was always taken by John Wesley. He was one of the few Christians that stood out to me historically who I felt had made an enormous difference in uh, bringing change for good, Mm. not only in his own country, but around the world. And I was especially struck by his leadership in the anti-slavery movement. Mm. Who was John Wesley? His life spanned almost the entire 18th century. He was born in 1703 in England and died in 1791. Mm. And he was an Oxford graduate. He had two degrees from Oxford. He was ordained in the Anglican Church. It was the faith he was raised in, and he had been a missionary for a time in uh, in Georgia in the colonies. He was uh, also a uh, a traveling preacher over the years. He had what he called really his conversion experience in 1738, the famous statement of when he when he said his heart was strangely warmed, and he went from really a works righteousness in his life mm. to understanding that he was saved by grace through faith, that it wasn't his works. He, he really was changed enormously, and uh, he that, that event happened after many, many months and even years of wrestling in his soul and trying to find peace with God mm. through various, you know, striving to be holy. But he heard a man reading from Luther's introduction to his commentary on Romans. The Holy Spirit touched him, and he understood for the first time that he really was saved by grace. And from that point on, I mean, he had he had good news, as he saw it, and he traveled all over the United Kingdom and uh, preaching that people really had to be born again. And uh, mm. a lot of a lot of British Christians, especially sacramentalists, had believed that you know if you're baptized and confirmed, you're in. And Wesley said that's not right. Mm. Dr. Dorsett, I was interested, and I've been, I've been reading on uh, uh, some of the backgrounds of uh, the slavery movement in, uh, in America, and I had no idea that uh, Wesley uh, had been so, uh, so much a part of reaching out uh, to the slave community. I didn't know any, anything like that had ever happened. Well, he really did, and it, it's, it's a, there's a strain in Wesley, first of all, that I think just needs to be seen, manifested in his, his own theology and in the way he did things, and that is he had a very sensitive and tender heart towards poor people mm-hmm. and to the marginalized. And uh, as, as he argued, and I think he's right, the same way that the Savior did. Yeah. And anyway, when he was in Georgia, and he was not a very successful missionary in terms of church planting or even seeing many people converted, but he was appalled by the institution of slavery. He in particular wanted to see uh, slaves educated, and most of the slave owners did not want to see them educated. I think they were afraid of what would happen. So he was advocating the the education of slaves, and uh, that made him unpopular. Yeah, well, I know that later on it became a law that uh, that was after Wesley's time, but it was still before the Civil War. There was a there was a law that slaves couldn't be taught to read. That's right. Yeah. That's right. But he. He was always battling against those kinds of things. Yeah. And this was one of the points of contention even between uh, George Whitfield and John Wesley. They had some theological wars, so to speak, and mm. sometimes they heated up almost a warlike fashion, mm. although they ministered together. And Whitfield was supportive of slavery and said it could be supported through the scriptures. In, in Georgia, where he was. And, and Whitfield had a tender heart towards the poor, but he took a more of what would be called a traditional position on slavery at that time. Mm. And Wesley increasingly over the years became markedly and vehemently anti-slavery. And it wasn't just in this country either. I mean, this is the time before Wilberforce had succeeded in uh, his abolition efforts in British-ruled world at that time. Well, that's right. And frankly, as as a secular historian before I was a Christian, I understood, as did most historians, that John Wesley was the man whom God used to plant the fire into William Wilberforce's soul. Wow, I didn't and, know that. And Wilberforce led the charge that abolished the slave trade in uh, 
in Britain in uh, 1807. In fact, a lot of people don't know this, but the last letter John Wesley wrote before he died in 1791 was to William Wilberforce. And it, it's a fascinating letter, and, uh, and it, it really pours out his heart. Uh, do you want me to take time to mention it? Or I w- no, I'd love to hear about it. A couple, couple minutes. Go ahead. I'm looking for my pen to write this down. <laughs> <laughs> well, Wesley had been reading a book by a freed slave uh, titled The Interesting Narrative of the Life of Gustavus Vasa. Yep. And um, Wesley had read the book, and it just continued to pour coals on the fire. And he was moved by this black man's story, and he was especially appalled in learning about it, that blacks, their testimony would never be accepted, even if they were free blacks. Their testimony would never be accepted in a court of law over that of a white man. Yeah. And so he writes a letter on November 24th uh, to William Wilberforce, and I, I have it here in front of me, and I want to quote it. He said, slavery is an execrable villainy. Another time, he called it the excrement of British society. He said, slavery is an execrable villainy, which is the scandal of England and of human nature. Mm. He said, I'm shocked when a man has a black skin, and if he is wronged or attacked by a white man, he has no redress. Mm. Uh, The letter is very evangelical, and and he challenges Wilberforce. And this is the last letter he wrote, and it really touched Wilberforce. He said, go on in the name of God and in the power of his might till even American slavery, the vilest that ever saw the sun, shall banish before it. Wow, it took nearly another 20 years then for that to happen in England. I'm sorry our time has gone here, but that that enough gets us thinking about this, Michael. Yeah, what are some of the best books we can uh, find to read read more about this? Well, I think probably there are a lot of biographies of Wesley, but the one I like best is Roy Hattersley, H-A-T-T-E-R-S-L-E-Y, Roy Hattersley, The Life of John Wesley. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hattersley uh, does quite a bit with this. Dr. Lyle Dorsett, our time is always too brief with you, but you'll be back with us again, I hope. Thank you. We need to pause the session right here, but there's much more on the way. We're always glad to read your reactions to this program. You can send your comments, song requests, or questions to us when you write to in the studio at michaelcard.com. That's in the studio at michaelcard.com. And coming up in a moment, a little mini concert here in the studio with Ashley Cleveland. And then Michael will be back with a final word about our passage of study here today. So stay tuned. Coming up next week in the studio with Michael Card, Michael will open the Word and teach on the life of Jesus. And there'll be guest conversations and plenty of music woven throughout the hour that will inspire you to follow Christ in new and deeper ways. The instruments are tuned and the Bible is open, so make sure you join us for this unforgettable session. Look for the post and invite other like minds to hear this program on Apple, Spotify, or Google Play. All the details at michaelcard.com. Welcome back into the studio with Michael Card. Our special guest now is Ashley Cleveland. Ashley? Would you be afraid of your burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's a wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power. In the blood of the Lamb, there is a power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be afraid? Of your pettiness, 
of your pride There's power in the blood Power in the blood Come for a cleansing To Calvary's tide There's a wonderful power in the blood There is Right out the window, every other version of that song I've ever heard is now gone. Uh, Ashley Cleveland here in the studio. Yeah. Ashley, have a seat over there in that well-worn guest chair that yeah. we have here. Yeah. I do like a well-worn chair that makes noise. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome for Thank the first you. time in the studio with us. Ah, it's about time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, 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 and I hope it won't be the last time. Thanks uh-huh. for, for coming. Oh, my pleasure. Would you do service for Jesus, your King? I, I just love those old hymns. I love the language of them. I love the scripture of them. I love so many things about them. But uh, uh, that one in particular, I really like. So, Well, I think what you just did at least showed me all over again how the, the, the messages of those hymns can be embraced again and again and again in, in different forms. I mean, the the melody stays basically the same, and the the, the message stays the same. But it keeps speaking. I mean, it it it, it spoke. I don't know where the, you probably know the background of that hymn. Um, this one I actually don't know. I yeah. I mean, I bragged uh, to you before this uh, segment of the show started that I do know a lot of the background on mm-hmm. a lot of hymns, but. I don't know this one, and I don't know why I've never looked it up. But, um, you know, it's funny. It's When you get into looking for background on a lot of these hymns, the thing that's interesting to me is you you can't um, go to one source. You have to go to a multitude of sources because so many of the sources clean up the stories. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And make them happier or give them, you know, Extra more depth. Disney-esque yeah. Huh. Yeah. endings, because so many of the hymn writers lived lives of such excruciating loss and tragedy that it's, you know, and, and many of them, their frailties and weaknesses were way out in front on mm-hmm. display, which for somebody like me is one of the great things about them. Yeah. But uh, I think, you know, one of the misunderstandings in the church is is that, you know, that we 
should be more victorious. Well, and, and, it, and it's all about the gift, and it's yeah, yeah. I I, I resonate with that. Mm, we've talked but, about that. Well, I think just the musicians that you and I are sort of in community with the 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 most creative, the most the ones who have the most powerful ministries are the ones that have hurt, been hurt. You know, the most. In fact, I can't think of anybody who who doesn't mm. have a story and doesn't have a struggle that they create out of. I'm sure oh, there yeah. are. Sure there are, but I don't know any of them. No, and it's so many. You know, it took me years to understand because I'm a really broken person. And, you know, I despised that brokenness for so many years and tried to, you know, sort of compartmentalize it or at least tuck it away where it wouldn't be so obvious. But because of the way I'm wired, it would just leak out anyway. And (laughs) and then, you know, I realized at one point that really it was that most broken part of me that was the best thing I had to give away. And that makes you then, I think, uniquely qualified to sing that there is power in the blood. It's oh, not absolutely. just uh, just words on a paper. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of people say, let's not let's not do the blood. Song. Yeah, right, let's, right. Let's do, you know. <laughs> and to me, it's like, absolutely, let's do the blood songs. Bring them on. Yeah, yeah. I know, you know. <laughs> well, tell us some more of your story. I mean, I remember the first time we met at Christ Prez. I don't even know how many years ago that was. We were both young young people, and uh, I mean, when did you first come to Nashville? I moved to Nashville. I'm uh, I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee, and um, my parents divorced early on, so I, I had the most bizarre upbringing in that my mother moved to the San Francisco Bay Area, and my father stayed in Knoxville. So I did all my schooling out in California. Um, and then I would come back and spend the summers with my dad, which was literally like time traveling. Mm-hmm. It was like operating in two different countries mm-hmm. and um, uh, and not entirely a, a happy experience for many reasons. But um, I came, you know, at one point I was in, I went to, I had a brief encounter with the University of Tennessee <laughs> and I stayed only long enough to identify the clubs I wanted to play music in and um, uh, and to meet this wonderful person who's been a friend for many, many years, and that's Pam Tillis, who mm-hmm. is part of a country music dynasty, her father being Mel Tillis, and she's gone on to be a country star. But we formed a folk duo and and uh, and played music throughout. You know, we were each at UT just about the same amount of time, and um, and put about the same amount of effort into it. So uh, <laughs> we both left and went our separate ways, but we stayed in touch. So when I decided I wanted to make a serious bid for a music industry job of mm-hmm. some ilk, she offered me a place. She offered me a room in her house in Nashville, mm-hmm. and so I came here in 1984. The rest is history, 84. as they say. 84, mm-hmm. yeah. Ashley, since we've got you here in the studio and these guitars here, we've got to hear more music from you this half hour of the show. So um, what's next? What Another hymn? or Yeah. Yeah, I'll do another hymn. Uh, I'll do my favorite hymn, and I'm I'm such a profound hymn lover. That really is saying something, but I, this was... Um, this story I do know, and it this is a hymn written by a man named Robert Robinson, I think around the turn of the 17th century, and he grew up in London in a very poor family, and his father died when he was quite young, and his mother wanted him to go to barbering school, <laughs> and he uh, was uh, not at all uh, open to that idea and instead left home and joined the equivalent of a street gang, and they were out. Uh, getting into vandalism and all kinds of petty theft and mischief and went to heckle a itinerant preacher. And Mr. Robinson uh, instead encountered the Lord Jesus. And he went on to become a renowned theologian. He was widely recognized throughout Europe as a teacher and a preacher and a writer of beautiful music. And he, um, but late in his life, he became quite disillusioned, and he was, you know, he got sidetracked into a, kind of a Unitarian doctrine, and then he just left the faith altogether. Mm-hmm. And he um, and he never returned to the faith, and he even uh, talks about his, uh, you know, the, the, the struggle within the context of this hymn. He says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel oh, it. Prone, prone to leave the God I love. And um, 
And wow. he, you know, and he was there. One of the storylines that is pretty consistent is that he was traveling by stagecoach at one point and, and he encountered a woman with a hymnal open on her lap, which who really sounds like my kind of gal. But, <laughs> and she started humming this particular song and said, do you know this song? And he wow. said, yeah. Not only do I know it, but I'm the miserable man who wrote it. And he told her, he poured out his heart to her and, and you know, and said that he would give a thousand lives to know the joy and the peace he knew back then, but he had lost it and he could not oh. find his way back. And he died shortly thereafter. And so to me, he so represents so much of the human struggle and just our the our humanity and how, you know, we like Paul said, the things we want to do, the things that we aspire to do, the vision, you know, we can't, are not the things we end up doing Mm -hmm. so often. And so Mm -hmm. I just think there's just something so beautiful and profound about here this poor man was in such a dilemma throughout his life, and yet he leaves us this treasure, Mm -hmm. you know, That that has sustained people. I know that song. Me personally has. I've been sustained by this song, and I can't imagine. I, 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 probably in the millions of you know people who have been touched by yeah. this particular song. It's going to mean so much oh. now to, for us to hear you sing yeah. it after that introduction, Ashley. Thank you for the pleasure. story, Ashley Cleveland in the studio.
How great is that? Ashley Cleveland in the studio. Ashley, thank you. Come thou found it, every blessing. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel I'll never hear that line again without thinking of the story behind the hymn writer. Um, I know. It's yeah. really... That's re- I think about that a lot, and it makes the songs even richer to me, mm-hmm. if that were even possible. Mm-hmm. You have a CD, Men and Angels Say. That That song is on that CD, yes, right? Yes, it is. Come Thou Fount. Well, thanks for coming. Thank and you. And giving us uh, some of your time. Oh, yeah. it's my pleasure. Yeah. Happy to be here. We want you to do one more song before you leave today, though, Ashley. Um, but you, you have uh, something called Share, Songs of Hope and Recovery for those... Uh, Well, I participated in a project called SHARE, which was really just a Nashville effort to uh, create a musical project that would uh, basically use songs that kind of uh, address the issue of alcoholism by talking songs that talked about how it was, songs that talk about what happened, and songs that talk about what it's like now. And I am a recovering alcoholic and drug addict, and I have a real interest in doing anything to help people to get help and to recover. And uh, they wanted to create an album to raise money for people that had no money to get treatment, but also to create awareness, because I think even with everything we know about the illness of addiction— there is still a tremendous stigma attached, and particularly in the body of Christ, mm-hmm. particularly in the, where you just think, well, it's sin, get over it. And, and it's not quite so simple, and I do think that um, there are, you know, there is much aid to be had, but people have to get honest and get real about it. Yeah, I think if I hear one more time someone say, I went to AA and I, I had a, a, a deeper experience of forgiveness and grace— than I found at my church. If I hear that one more time, it it, it, it just hurts. As tears a, you up, doesn't it? It does. It I is. mean, thank but goodness. But it is sadly true. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And it is, you know, and I have to say, for me personally, I found life in those rooms that I did not find elsewhere yeah. and, an, and a level of accept, acceptance. And I had sunk so low that, you know, I needed to be with other people that really understood my condition. And... um so I definitely support that. I love to be in part of the SHARE project. But the other thing that I would very much like to say is that, you know, I uh, grew up in the church, did not always consider myself entirely happy to be there. Um, and and yet my mother uh, never could think of a good reason for us to miss church. And now I'm grateful for that. And that's mm-hmm. really where I learned these hymns. And, you know, at the darkest, most... Uh, a dreadful time when I really thought I would die. Uh, these songs from my childhood would come back to me, and that was the reason why I made the hymn record in the first place. Well, I think was, it's having that effect on people who listen to the songs today, right here in the studio. You know, we have just enough time to, for one more of these okay. hymns—a short one. Uh, oh, a short one. <laughs> a short one. I don't do short. <laughs> I know. I know. You tell him. <laughs> um, you know, I'm going to do an old spiritual because this is in the hymnal, and. Um, uh, it has a great story to it, but I won't tell the story. But I, I will say you should look for the story because it is a wonderful story. Uh, and But I'm going to do this song because it really became an anthem of the civil rights movement mm. and gave hope to an entire generation and race of people. And with this, we'll finish our time today here in the studio with Ashley. Thank you. Thank you. This, th- this song is, is uh, written by the great uh, Thomas Dorsey, mm-hmm. and it's called Precious Lord. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, help me stand, I'm tired, and I'm a weak, I am one, through the dark. I am the night 
So glad that uh, Ashley wow. Cleveland joined us that day in the studio. Precious Lord, take my hand. Wow. What a voice. Hmm. Gee whiz. A couple of minutes here for you to wrap things up for us. Yeah, I, I think I want to go back to John 8. And I made that statement about, you know, you, we need to read big blocks of Scripture because this um, this conversation between Jesus and, and uh, these this group of Jewish people who'd begun to believe in him goes all the way to the end of the chapter, and it, 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 uh, it keeps getting even worse. <laughs> um, uh, Jesus really pushes the button in verse the very last verse, or next to the last verse, when he says, I tell you the truth, which is Jesus' way of saying I'm about to say something really important that you're going to misunderstand. And it's actually in Greek, it's amen, amen. Uh, he says, before Abraham was born, and we've had this long discussion, right, about Abraham being their father. No, mm-hmm. Abraham isn't their father. The devil is their father. Um, Jesus has just said, your father, Abraham, rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. And uh, they obviously don't like that. And then Jesus really lights the fuse when he makes the statement, uh, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, that I am is a manifestation of the unspeakable name. Uh, we don't even know how to pronounce it anymore. Yahweh is the closest pronunciation we can come up with. Uh, in Judaism, you don't even pronounce it. You say Hashem, the name. Uh, but it, you know, when uh, uh, they ask God his name, he says, uh, Moses says, tell him I am sent you. And that's where that comes from. Well, Jesus just manifested that name for himself and we know that he did that because the response in verse 59 is they pick up stones to stone him because that's what you do to people who say that unspeakable name. Mm. Okay, so, so I encourage you when you read through this whole chapter, look for the significant promises that Jesus makes. There are four of them. Yeah, don't stop here. Take up that challenge. Do a little homework on this passage. Thank you, Michael. Learn about Michael's books, music, and conference ministry so you can expand on what you've heard in this session. We're found online at michaelcard.com. That's michaelcard.com. And we hope you'll join us for next week's podcast release. For all of us on the team, Ron Davis, Lance Mansfield, and our producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for listening to this edition of In the Studio with Michael Card.